Section 3 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 4, Part 3, by Alexandra Dumas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Nadia Fernandez. NadiaFernandez.com Celebrated Crimes, Volume 4, Part 3, by Alexandra Dumas. Section 3 the young prince of Brancaleone, whom, in spite of the darkness of the night, our readers will already have recognised, advanced towards the fisherman's house, with as little noise as possible, walked up and down several times upon the shore, and, after having briefly reconnoitred the place that he wished to attack, waited quietly for the moon to rise and light up the scene that he had prepared. He was not obliged to exercise his patience very long, for the darkness gradually disappeared, and Solomon's little house was bathed in silvery light. Then he approached with timid steps, lifted towards the casement a look of entreaty, and began to sigh with all the power of his lungs. The young girl, called suddenly from her meditations by the appearance of this strange person, raised herself sharply and prepared to close the shutters. Stay, charming Nisida, cried the prince in the manner of a man overcome by irresistible passion. What do you want with me, signor? answered the maiden, amazed to hear herself called by name. To adore you as a Madonna is adored, and to make you aware of my sighs. Nisida looked at him steadily, and after a moment or two of reflection, asked suddenly, as though in response to some secret thought, do you belong to this country, or are you a foreigner? I arrived in this island, replied the prince, without hesitation, at the moment when the sun was writing his farewell to the earth, and dipping the rays that serves as his pen into the shadow that serves as his inkstand. And who are you? returned the young girl, not at all understanding these strange words. Alas, I am but a poor student, but I may become a great poet like Tasso, whose verses you often hear sung by a departing fisherman who sends his thrilling music as a last farewell that returns to die on the beach. I do not know whether I am doing wrong to speak to you, but at least I will be frank with you, said Nizzy the blushing. I have the misfortune to be the richest girl on the island. Your father will not be inexorable, returned the prince ardently. One word from you, light of my eyes, goddess of my heart, and I will work night and day, never pausing nor slackening, and will render myself worthy to possess the treasure that God has revealed to my dazzled eyes, and, from being poor and obscure as you see me, I will become rich and powerful. I have stayed too long listening to talk that a maiden should not hear. Permit me, Signor, to withdraw. Have pity on me, my cruel enemy. What have I done to you that you should thus leave me with death in my soul? You do not know that for months past I have been following you everywhere, like a shadow, that I prowl round your home at night, stifling my sighs, lest they should disturb your peaceful slumber. You are afraid, perhaps, to let yourself be touched at a first meeting by a poor wretch who adores you. 
Alas, Juliet was young and beautiful, like you, and she did not need many entreaties to take pity on Romeo. Nisida suffered a sad and thoughtful look to fall upon this handsome young man, who spoke to her in so gentle a voice, and withdrew without further reply that she might not humiliate his poverty. The prince made great efforts to suppress a strong inclination towards laughter, and, very well satisfied with his opening, turned his steps towards the spot where he had left his servant, Trespolo, after having emptied a bottle of lacrima, with which he had provided himself for any emergency, had looked long round him to choose a spot where the grass was especially high and thick, and had laid himself down to a sound sleep, murmuring as he did so, this sublime observation. Oh, laziness! But for the sin of Adam you'd be a virtue! The young girl could not close her eyes during the whole night, after the conversation that she had held with the stranger. His sudden appearance, his strange dress, and odd speech had awakened in her an uncertain feeling that had been lying asleep in the bottom of her heart. She was at this time in all the vigour of her youth and of her splendid beauty. Nisida was not one of the weak and timid natures that are broken by suffering or dominion over by tyranny. Far otherwise, everything around her had contributed towards shaping for her a calm and serene destiny. Her simple, tender soul had unfolded in an atmosphere of peace and happiness. If she had not hitherto loved, it was the fault, not of her coldness, but of the extreme timidity shown by the inhabitants of her island. The blind death of respect that surrounded the old fisherman had drawn round his daughter a barrier of esteem and submission that no one dared to cross. By means of thrift and labour, Solomon had succeeded in creating for himself a prosperity that put the poverty of the other fishermen to the blush. No one had asked for Nisida because no one thought he deserved her. The only admirer who had dared to show his passion openly was Bastiano, the most devoted and dearest friend of Gabriel. But Bastiano did not please her. So, trusting in her beauty, upheld by the mysterious hope that never deserts youth, she had resigned herself to wait, like some princess who knows that her betrothed will come from a far country. On the day of the Assumption, she had left her island for the first time in her life. Chance having chosen her among the maidens of the kingdom vowed by their mothers to the special protection of the virgin. But, overwhelmed by the weight of a position so new to her, blushing and confused under the eyes of an immense crowd, she had scarcely dared to raise her wandering looks. And the splendours of the town had passed before her like a dream, leaving but a vague remembrance. When she perceived the presence of this handsome young man, so slenderly and elegantly built, whose noble and calm demeanour contrasted with the timidity and awkwardness of her other admirers, she felt herself inwardly disturbed, and no doubt she would have believed that her prince had come, if she had been unpleasantly struck by the poverty of his dress. 
She had, nevertheless, allowed herself to listen to him, longer than she ought to have done, and she drew back with her bosom heavy, her cheek on fire, and her heart rent by an ache that was both dull and sharp. If my father does not wish me to marry him, she said to herself, tormented by the first remorseful feeling of her life, I shall have done wrong to speak to him. And yet he is so handsome. Then she knelt before the virgin, who was her only confidant, the poor child having never known her mother, and trying to tell her the torments of her soul. But she could not achieve her prayer. The thoughts became entangled within her brain, and she surprised herself uttering strange words. But, assuredly, the Holy Virgin must have taken pity upon her lovely devotee, for she rose with the impression of a consoling thought, resolved to confine everything to her father. I cannot have a moment's doubt, she said to herself as she unlaced her bodice, of my father's affection. Well then, if he forbids me to speak to him, it will be for my good. And indeed, I have seen him but this once, she added, as she threw herself upon the bed. And now I think of it, I consider him very bold to dare to speak to me. I am almost inclined to laugh at him. How confidently he brought out his nonsense! How absurdly he rolled his eyes! They are really very fine, those eyes of his, and so is his mouth, and his forehead, and his hair. He does not suspect that I noticed his hands, which are really very white, when he raised them to heaven like a madman, as he walked up and down by the sea. Come, come, is he going to prevent my sleeping? I will not see him again, she cried, drawing the sheet over her head like an angry child. Then she began to laugh to herself over her lover's dress and meditated long upon what her companions would say to it. Suddenly, her brow contracted painfully. A frightful thought had stolen into her mind. She shuddered from head to foot. Suppose he were to think someone else prettier than me? Men are so foolish. Certainly it is too hot, and I shall not sleep tonight. Then she sat up in her bed and continued her monologue, which we will spare the reader, till the morning. Scarcely had the first rays of light filtered through the interlacing branches of jasmine and wavered into the room when Nisida dressed herself hurriedly and went as usual to present her forehead to her father's kiss. The old man at once observed the depression and weariness left by a sleepless night upon his daughter's face, and parting with an eager and anxious hand the beautiful black hair that fell over her cheeks, he asked her, What is the matter, my child? Thou hast not slept well. I have not slept at all, answered Nisida, smiling to reassure her father. I am perfectly well, but I have something to confess to you. Speak quickly, child. I am dying with impatience. Perhaps I have done wrong, but I want you to promise beforehand not to scold me. 
You know very well that I spoil you, said the old man with a caress. I shall not begin to be stern today. A young man who does not belong to this island and whose name I do not know spoke to me yesterday evening when I was taking the air at my window. And what was he so eager to say to you, my dear Nisida? He begged me to speak to you in his favour. I am listening. What can I do for him? Order me to marry him. And should you obey willingly? I think so, father, the girl candidly replied. As to other things, you yourself must judge in your wisdom. For I wanted to speak to you before coming to know him, so as not to go on with a conversation that you might not approve. But there is a hindrance. You know that I do not recognize any when it is a question of making my daughter happy. He is poor, father. Well, all the more reason for me to like him. There is work here for everybody, and my table can spare a place for another son. He is young, he has arms, no doubt he has some calling. He is a poet. No matter. Tell him to come and speak to me. And if he is an honest lad, I promise you, my child, that I will do anything in the world to promote your happiness. Nisida embraced her father effusively, and was beside herself with joy all day, waiting impatiently for the evening, in order to give the young man such splendid news. Eligi Brancaleone was but moderately flattered, as you will easily believe, by the fisherman's magnanimous intentions towards him. But like the finished seducer that he was, he appeared enchanted at them, recollecting his character as a fantastical student. And an out-at-elbows poet, he fell upon his knees and shouted a thanksgiving to the planet Venus. Then, addressing the young girl, he added in a calmer voice that he was going to write immediately to his own father, who in a week's time would come to make his formal proposal. Until then, he begged, as a favor, that he might not present himself to Solomon, nor to any person at all in the island, and assign as a pretext a certain degree of shame which he felt on account of his old clothes, assuring his beloved that his father would bring him a complete outfit for the wedding day. End of section 3